I want us to finish the book of Second Peter today. We're in the third chapter of Second Peter. And uh, in this chapter, he is reminding us of things that we should know. And he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. He said, I'm actually not trying to teach you something new. I'm trying to tell you what you already know. I'm trying to remind you of what you've been told in the past. Sometimes, you know, we go around, we, we always want to learn something new. And that's okay to learn some new things. But, you know, the main thing is for us to put into practice what we already know. Sometimes people say, well, I, I'd like to learn something new. And, uh, and, and God is saying, uh, well, you know, start practicing what I've told you, then I'll teach you something. I heard about a preacher back in Tennessee that he went to to a new church and he preached a really, really good sermon the first Sunday he was there. The second Sunday he preached the very same sermon, exactly word for word. Third Sunday, the same sermon, word for word. And the fourth Sunday, the same thing. And some of his deacons came to him and said, "Uh, Pastor, uh, don't you have another sermon? You've preached the same sermon four Sundays in a row. He said, yes, I have some other sermons. I'm waiting for you to start practicing what I told you in this first one. And he said, then I'll preach something new. Well, I think maybe that's what God is trying to say to us through Peter's letter. He says, I'm writing this second letter to you to remind you, of to, to stir up your mind to remember what I've told you. You know, uh, God wants us to constantly be reminded of who we are in Christ, what Christ did for us, and the fact that Jesus is coming again. Those are things he wants us to know. And, uh, and we need to preach the gospel to ourselves because the gospel reminds us how weak we are. It reminds us of how much we need him. The gospel reminds us of how absolutely desperate we are for the grace of God to work in our life. But then it also reminds us of once we are a Christian, it reminds us who we are in Christ. And you know, when our understanding of who we are determines the way we live. I've told you this story before, but let me just repeat it again. When I was about uh, 10 or 11 years old, how old are you, Raiden? You're 11? Well, I was your age. And my cousin, who's also that's my same age, we were going to summer camp, 4-H club camp up in Martin, Tennessee, and we had packed all our stuff, had our suitcases all packed, and he and I had planned to do some kind of a, mischievous things we had actually planned I know you'd never do that but uh but we had planned some little mischievous things and we'd actually packed away some contraband stuff that we weren't supposed to be taking to camp and so we were all excited about going to camp we were going to pull some shenanigans well just before we got on the bus to go up to the camp my mother called me over to the side and said son I just want to tell you one thing I want you to remember who you are. Remember who you are. 
Well, I looked at her kind of strange because I, I knew she'd already written my name in all my underwear and everything like that, so I couldn't forget who I was. So I knew she meant more than that, and I, I just said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, here's what I mean, son. Remember that you are the son of Raymond and Mabel Harris. And while you're at camp, everything you do is going to be a reflection on us. And if you are a bad boy at camp, people are not going to say, what a bad boy. They're going to say, he must really have bad parents. But if you're a good boy, they're not going to just say, you're a good boy. They're going to say, he must have really good parents. She ruined my camp experience. Because all those things I had planned to do, I just couldn't do. And my cousin, when we got there, he, Tommy says, hey, hey, come on, we're going to. I said, Tommy, I can't do that. He said, well, why not? I said, because I know who I am. And I can't do that because I'm the son of Raymond and Mabel Harris. And, you know, that was uh, not a perfect illustration, obviously. But I tell you what, there have been many times since I've been a Christian that there would be th- times I might be tempted to say something or do something or go somewhere or participate in something, and it would be like the Holy Spirit would say, Son, remember who you are. You are a child of the King. You belong to Jesus. And whatever you do, people are not just going to say, what a good guy or what a bad guy, they're going to say, I wonder what kind of God he has. And that's the truth. It really is the truth. And so what Peter is saying to these people, I want to remind you of who you are. I want to remind you of what has happened to you. And he said, I want to remind you for, in fact, we'll be next Sunday, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper here at the church. I, I love when we take the Lord's Supper. Because that whole meal, that whole uh, communion meal is to do in remembrance of Jesus. It is that visible, tangible reminder of what Jesus did for us and who we are in him. So Peter says, I want you to remember. And here's one thing he said, I want you to remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. I want you to remember what you've heard. I want you to remember what the prophet said and what the the, uh, apostle said. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. He said, I don't want you to be surprised. You're not going to find that everybody is excited about the message that you're sharing. And that's the truth, isn't it? I tell you, we were talking in Sunday school this morning. uh, One of the men who is a a high school teacher up in Duncanville, he was just talking about how it's so, so hard to get people, get students today to show any respect and to show any interest, really, in learning and that uh, that they are scoffers. 
they actually, and today especially, you're going to find people everywhere who kind of make fun of Christians and make fun of Christianity, make fun of the Bible, and make fun of God. And, uh, and he says, just remember this, that in the last days, that's going to happen more and more. There are going to be more and more people who are scoffers, mockers, making fun of, uh, uh, of the truth because they want to follow their own sinful desires. And the more they want to sin, the more they're going to make fun of the truth. And they will say, where, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. What they're going to say, and, I, and you've heard this, haven't you? You've heard people say, uh, all this talk about Jesus coming back. When's he coming back? I mean, it's been 2,000 years, and he hasn't come back yet. And he says, just remember this. They, for one thing, he says, they deliberately overlook the fact that, you know, what they're saying is everything's, nothing's changed. Everything's been just like it's always been. He said they overlooked the fact that there was a time when things did change. And he refers back to the flood. He said they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water through, the, through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged or flooded with water and perished. He said they forget, intentionally forget, that God did one time send a flood just like he had promised. Now think about Noah. You know, God told Noah to build this boat. Nobody had ever built a boat like that. There had never been a need for a boat because there wasn't any, it hadn't actually rained before the flood. The Bible said before the flood, uh, a mist went up from the ground to water the plants. It, it didn't rain. And so God said to Noah, I want you to build a, a boat, build it large enough, and it is huge. And have you ever been to the ark up in, uh, uh, where is it, uh, Kentucky? Yeah, northern Kentucky, or just out of Cincinnati, Ohio, actually, uh, but Man, that thing is huge. And it's built to scale. It's built one-to-one scale. And how many of you said you've been there? You've been there? Okay. That's, it's amazing. If you have an opportunity to just take your vacation and want to go see something that will blow your mind, go see the ark. And God said to Noah and his sons, I want you to build this ark because I'm going to send a flood to sweep away all of the unrepentant, wicked people in our day. Because the Bible says that the, the, even the thoughts and imaginations of everybody's heart was only wicked continually at that time. And so Noah begins to build this ark, and I believe, if I understand the Scriptures right, that it took 120 years for him and his sons to build that ark. That's a long time, isn't it? And the Bible tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness and he preached to the people and warned them 
that God was going to send a flood and sweep everybody away. And nobody repented. And I imagine that they made fun of Noah. I imagine a little boy coming home one day and say, Daddy, 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 do you hear what this man is saying? He says that it's going to be a flood. It's going to come. We're going to all drown. <coughs> and his dad laughed and said, Oh, son, don't pay any attention to him. He's crazy. In fact, when I was a little boy, I went to my daddy and said the same thing you just said to me. And my daddy said to me, that when he was a little boy, he heard the same thing. He said, don't you know that this guy, I mean, if, if God's going to do that, why hadn't he already done it? It's been 119 years since he started preaching that message and building that big old monster boat out there. But the next year, the year, by the way, you know, the flood came the year and maybe the very day that Methuselah died. You know, Methuselah, he lived 969 years. That's amazing. I'd love to have seen that birthday cake. But uh, 969 years. But when he was born... God told his daddy to name this boy Methuselah. The Hebrew word Methuselah means when he is gone, it will come. Judgment will come. When, he, when this boy dies, judgment will come. And can you imagine, there must have been lots of times that when Methuselah would be climbing a tree, <laughs> his daddy probably said, you be careful, son, because when you're gone, the judgment's going to come. But if you, if you go into the Old Testament and you figure the years based on the chronology there, and the, the Methuselah died the very year and possibly the very day that the flood came. And the Bible says the flood waters came, swept them all away. And Peter says, these people, these mockers, these scoffers, these people, are like the people in Noah's day, they make fun of the message <coughs> of Jesus coming back. And they say, oh, nothing like that's ever happened before. And they willingly forget that something like that has happened before. God sent the flood and swept away those unrepentant mockers in that day. And he says, by the same word, the word that God gave to send the flood, by the same word, the heavens and earth are now that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. He said, God's not going to send a flood of water again. But he says all of the elements are stored up with fire. And the day will come when all of the atoms will split. And it will be like a multitude of atomic bombs. 
But do not overlook this one fact. He said, here's something else to remember, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. So the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. You know, we say, well, it's been 2,000 years. And God say, no, it's just been a couple of days since I made this promise. So why hasn't he come back? Listen to this. But God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I can remember when I was a little boy, my mother used to sing a song called Wait a Little Longer, Please, Jesus. Any of you ever hear that song? Wait a little longer, please, Jesus. A few more days to get our loved ones in. And she would say to me and my brother, she'd say, you know, Jesus is going to come back someday. And this whole world is going to just burn up. But you don't have to be afraid. Because Jesus wants you to know him. Now, we didn't understand much of it back then. But when I did get saved, I realized I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't come back when I was eight years old. And you say, well, he still hadn't come back, has he? No, he hadn't. He hadn't. But he is. <laughs> he will come back. He will come again. And he says, the reason that he's waiting is for people to be saved. For all of those who belong to him to come to him and know him and be saved. He says, but the day of the Lord will come, verse 10, like a thief. That is when people aren't expecting, when people are thinking, oh, it's not going to happen. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on them will be exposed. And he says, since all these things, since all this stuff, everything that we put our hopes and dreams and energy into, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? When you think about the second coming of Jesus, some people say, well, it scares me. Well, he says the purpose of it is not to scare you. The purpose of it is to motivate you to live a life of godliness and holiness. Then he says, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In the Old Testament, when Joseph was kind of a key ruler and leader in Egypt, when he died, the Bible says in the last chapter of Genesis, the very last verse, in fact, 
when Joseph died, he said to his brothers, he said, someday God is going to lead us out of here. We're not going to live in Egypt forever. Someday God's going to lead us out of here back to the land that he promised. And he says, when that happens, I want you to take my body with you. I'm about to die. And the Bible says that Joseph died and they embalmed him and they put him in a coffin in Egypt. It's the last verse in the book of Genesis. And then years passed, even decades passed, even centuries passed. And things changed. There was a time when Joe, right after Joseph died, the Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, he loved the Jewish people. And he made everything good for him. In fact, he gave them the, the prime land, the land of Goshen, which was the, the best land in Egypt. And he said, uh, I'm going to treat you with special favor. But then later, the Bible says there arose a new king about a hundred years later who didn't know Joseph, didn't care anything about Joseph. And he began to mistreat the Jewish people. He began to beat them and he began to make slaves out of them. And then the days came when God raised up Moses and God sent Moses to lead the people out. And the Bible says when they left Egypt, they took the bones of Joseph with them. He had asked them 300 years ago, and every generation, when everything was going great, and they thought, man, we're treated like royalty here in Egypt. The fathers would say, look, look over at that coffin. Look at that box over there, that casket. That, it's got the bones of Joseph in it. And that's a reminder to us that just because everything's going great, that doesn't mean it's always going to go great. And it's just a reminder that someday we're leaving here. So don't you get too attached to this world. And I tell you, God has the same message for us. Do you know that in my lifetime... Actually, Christians have been treated pretty well, for the most part. There was a time, actually, when the pastor was kind of a, what you got, not a rock star, but he was kind of a celebrity in the community. There was a time, you know, I can remember when, when I was a boy and pastors were, I was telling them in Sunday school, they used to invite, people would invite the pastor home to eat lunch with them every Sunday. Y'all remember that? Any of you remember that? It's a great, great, uh, it's a great tradition, you know. It ought to be brought back. But, uh, but I can just remember when the preacher was and would come in our home and our mother would say, now, boys, look, 
You behave yourself. The preacher's coming. We didn't usually, but uh, in fact, I didn't much like it when the preacher ate with us because he liked my piece of chicken. My favorite piece of chicken was the wishbone, or we called it the pulley bone. But I found out that every preacher loves, that's their favorite piece of chicken. And any time the preacher came to eat with us and Mother set the chicken on the table, he reached and got my favorite piece of chicken first. I usually ended up with a back or maybe a wing. But he got the pulley bone and the breast and all the best. And I thought, man, someday, if I'm ever a preacher, I'll get to get the pulley bone. Then I become a preacher, and people quit inviting the preacher over for chicken. Feel a little bit cheated there. But, uh, but there was a time when preachers and Christians generally had what we call the home court advantage. And unfortunately, that had a bad effect. Back in the 70s and 80s, Christians got real attached to the world. They began to even preach about, you know, God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be, uh, 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 you know, wealthy and healthy and everything like that. And I think, you know, the bones of Joseph would have said to the people in that day, this world is not your home. Don't you get anchored down here. You're leaving here someday. But then things changed, and then it got really, really rough. And the people began to be beaten and whipped and mistreated. And they groaned, the Bible says, they groaned under the taskmaster's lash. And then their parents would say, look over at that box. You see that box of bones? Joseph's body is in there. And that box is a reminder to us that someday we're going to Canaan. We're not going to stay here in Egypt forever. Are you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And you say, well, I wish we had a box of bones. Like We got something better than a box of bones. We've got an empty tomb. And that empty tomb says to us two things. Number one, don't get too attracted to this world because it's not your home. But it also says, when pressure comes, and by the way, I, I'm not a prophet, so I don't know, but I know that in some other countries, Australia and even Canada and other countries, pressure is intensifying against Bible-believing Christians and especially against Bible-preaching pastors. There are pastors in Canada, who have been arrested for preaching the Bible, preaching the truth of the Bible, especially as it relates to gender and sexuality and things like that. 
And that's just across the line. That's just north of the United States. So I'm saying that there could come a time when, like Daniel of old, we have to stand against the pressure. But if that happens, we cast our eye not to a box of bones but to an empty tomb, and we say, no matter what happens here, we are leaving here someday. We are leaving here and going to a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then the rest of the chapter, let me just at least read it. I had more to say about it, but I'll just read it. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, since you're waiting for Jesus to come back, be diligent. Be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. In other words, keep your life clean and get along with one another. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. He says, I'm not the only one who's told you about this. Paul has told you about it, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Then he says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, to which most of us would say, yeah, amen. There are a few things Paul said that's kind of hard for us to understand, but he said, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, just like they do the other scriptures. Here he identifies Paul's writings as scripture. You, therefore, beloved, Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. A whole sermon in that verse. And then he closes. It's the last words we have from Simon Peter. But grow. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. So that's, he says, remember. And then he says, uh, remind yourselves. And he says, consider. And then he says, grow. Good admonitions for all of us. All right, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these writings that we have. We call the Bible, but we know that originally, they were actually letters written by Simon Peter and Paul and James and John and some of the others that were actually written to encourage Christians in a challenging time. And I pray that we will hear those same messages to us today, realizing that it is truly your word, the eternal word of God. And I ask you, Father, to help us not get too attached to this world, but also help us not to get discouraged in this world because we know that you are for us, in us, and that you will someday call us to be with you. And I ask you to help us now to apply the principles of this chapter into our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.